it was such an uncomfortable watch. You're thinking about Lewandowski up front, an, an iconic centre forward, a brilliant player, and he's just doing doggies. This guy, like he was speaking in, he was definitely speaking in Arabic, and uh, like he was really full on intense. But then he'd take his break and he'd just start leaning over and talking to us in English. And he was like, Nunes, he is a madman. This fella is a madman. Jude takes a bad half and makes it better for England. Mbappe looks poles apart from the competition. And Arsene Wenger finally sees something which most of us probably wish he hadn't. Later, we'll hear from Gary Breen on his verdict in Japan's clash with Croatia this afternoon, as well as his comparisons between Damien Duff and Neymar. But first, Dan, another busy day. And we'll start briefly with that Wenger story, which may have gone under the radar for those of us looking to stick to football. Yeah, so um, and I have to admit, I wasn't at this event myself, um, but... Uh, it was a technical briefing that, that Arsene Wenger gave, um, along with Jurgen Klinsmann. Uh, FIFA do these things um, sporadically during the competition. There's just various days where they do uh, events in the media center, you know, stats, various things, you know. And, and uh, uh, Wenger was up today. And um, yeah, like, it was a Sunday morning thing. Uh, you know, I'm not sure there was a huge crowd there, um, but he was being asked a couple of questions uh, around various talking points of the competition. And one of them was, was Jurgen Klinsmann being asked a question about the short lead up to the competition. Had they seen any, anything, uh, any, any lessons that can be gained from this? And, and Klinsmann gave yeah. an answer of some description. Um, and then Wenger cuts in, uh, sort of picks up on Klinsmann's point and then basically says... Um, that what we are seeing is uh, good results from from nations, but but not so much from those uh, who were caught up in political protests. I don't know if you have the specific line in front of me, or you know, they weren't caught up, yeah. uh, caught up in political demonstration or words to that effect. Um, yeah, it was a peculiar peculiar angle to take, given that it was. I mean, if the Germany in, incident, which is fair enough, but it's, well, I mean, it's 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 difficult to pin to pin it on that. It's very difficult to pin it on that. I mean. It's it's just I don't know why you'd expect a bit better from Wenger, you know, but you do really. Do you know it's it's a very strange thing to come out with, given that it's so obviously wrong and so fairly easily disproven. I would think. Yeah. So the thing is with Wenger, just to be clear, people may not be aware of this. Like he's FIFA's chief of global football development, so he's on the books of FIFA. And I mean, previously, you know, he's. This isn't maybe a massive surprise to people who've been following him closely in the last 18 months or so, which wouldn't be everyone. Mm-hmm. Like he, you know, he would have sort of been a, previously been a spokesperson for maybe in favor of the biennial World Cup, um, which is like a, a terrible opinion. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I refuse to believe it's anything but that. And there's no doubt that the magic of the World Cup is that it's it's so rare and that makes it so much more meaningful. Um, and I mean, let's like he's a FIFA employee, like he's on the books mm-hmm. and um maybe these are all his opinions and he feels this way about everything uh, but this was a slightly uh unprompted comment it must be said that would be yeah. a little bit more like something you'd you'd expect uh i don't know a front bencher to make in uh in the parliament to sort of uh get a dig in that you're not expecting or like something you'd have on one of our uh, current affairs panel shows where someone just decides, yeah. oh, I haven't had enough slaps at the opposition here yet, so I better better get one in uh, while I can. And it, it, was, it was almost a little bit like um, <clears throat> it was on the agenda to get this in at some stage, 
and maybe mm-hmm. this was the question that provided the best opportunity to do it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I mean, I was sort of reading the comments. He, he obviously, we're all taking it from it that he, he's referencing uh, Germany. You know, like what was the line again? Sorry, I have it here now. Sorry, it's important maybe for people who didn't read it. Because um, he did speak bizarrely about England not being affected, you know, um, and they were obviously very affected by the one love and, and the protest and all that stuff before the first game. So he references, you know, uh, teams who have experience, have results in former tournaments like France, like England, like Brazil. They played well in the first game. And the teams as well who were mentally ready, like Jürgen said, um, who had the mindset to focus on the competition and not on political demonstration. Now, it did cross my mind, right, that Iran were obviously caught up in a, a political episode mm-hmm. as well, too, and were hammered by England in that first game. And and um, very different to sort of the, the, the FIFA politicking, you know, just like... The, so, I mean, that's very, very... That'd be the kindest interpretation of uh, Wenger's words in, in some kind of way. Um, but nah, it just like it didn't didn't come across particularly well. But to me, like massively surprising, given that he's yeah. sort of become a FIFA company man in the last period of time, which probably is disappointing for people who remember him fondly for for very different reasons. Yeah, he was only short of mentioning the word woke somewhere in there to just sort of mm-hmm. tick every box on it. Um, maybe it was taking the knee at the beginning of the game against Senegal that gave England such a poor start. Then moving on to on pitch matters. I mean. It's one of those weird games with England where, you know, everything's a disaster for half an hour and then everything's brilliant for the next hour and it's somewhere in between again. I mean, like some of the moves they put together for Jude Bellingham was fantastic. Uh, really took the game with a scruff of the neck and drove at Senegal the f- couple of chances that he got. Southgate got most things right, it would seem, in the result. And, you know, they move on. It's it's still, you still have that have they been tested thing, but mm. like they're into the last eight and, you know, it's, they have an awful lot going for them. I think they probably have as many questions around them as France do, which is what makes, what makes the game next weekend so interesting. Yeah, well, this is it. I mean, I was at the France game and you could definitely come away from the France game. Uh, you could find the negatives or you could find the positives, like depending on what way you want to look at it. I mean, yeah. France uh, gave up a big chance at nil all. Uh, Zielinski from Napoli really should have scored um, and there was one or two other little moments as well in the same way that Senegal could have been ahead now I think France still had a better grip on the game than England did in the first half hour and yeah. they were all over the place in, in the opening half an hour really um, and you, you do again like you can come away with the positives or the negatives right so if you're if you want to come away with the negatives it's that Senegal causing a lot of problems in the first half an hour and this is effectively a very diminished Senegal team as we've mentioned before with Mane being out, Idrissa Gueye as well Um, so I mean that they they weren't bad opposition in that context the flip side is that England when they're good they're sensationally good like there was something exhilarating about the the second goal in particular I see Roy Keane is lavishing praise on on Jude Bellingham and um, okay I know Bellingham maybe is a different sort of physical makeup he's, he's taller right but what well, the thing about Bellingham is like he does have this great all-round package that you can see why Keane loves him because like yeah. he's he's good in a lot of areas he's strong he's physical but like almost deceptively good on the ball or maybe not deceptively at all maybe maybe it's very honest very obvious to yeah. people but that was a little bit of Keane you know in, in a way oh, very too. Much so and pretty young Keane, right? Because this is like yeah. this is number eight, Roy Keane. Like Roy Keane was an attacking midfielder when he was younger, or a breaker, you know, box to box, box to box, breaking yeah. player. And um, uh, who knows what Bellingham can become? 
um, but just the ways in which he was just executing some of those things, it does remind you a little bit. And people say Gerard, and 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 you can pick whoever you want. Like you can, I think the the compliment about Bellingham, I think Gary Breen said it in his column the week before last that in modern parlance, like he can be sort of the the number four sitting, the number the eight or the number ten, um, because he's such an all rounder. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and the story goes that the story the story goes that's why he wears the number twenty two. Can you add all those together? Yeah, that seems to be get. the story. You yeah, know, even, even though I thought the sitting midfielder was the six, right? But clearly, in, in English football parlance, it's the four because that's what Declan Rice is wearing, right? Yeah, yeah. I always thought four and five are centre backs, but then that's maybe that's old school mm. one to eleven. So I'm not sure. But like mm. his his role for the two goals, as you said, like the first one, he's taking that run, he's driving into the box he's looking up and he's picking the right pass and squaring it. The second one where he breaks out of defence, a lot of players would have maybe thought to themselves, it's nearly half time. I've done my job of taking the pressure off the defence. I'll take this foul that the Senegal player is trying to foul, take a yellow card, but he didn't. Held him off, bounced off him, took a touch inside, played that pass with his left foot into Foden. Mm. Like it was, and I think that switch is going to be interesting where you know he moved... He used Bellingham, Henderson, and Royce. I think he'll do the same next week because that allows Henderson and Bellingham to get forward as they did for the first goal. And, you know, with Royce still sitting, whereas if he only plays Bellingham and Royce in there, you know, the two of them can't get forward at the same time. So look at, again, as you said, it's, you can take the positives or the negatives out of it. I thought England on the ball and defence were, were poor. And if that is one area, they'll definitely need to be better because, you know, the chances that Senegal kind of had in there, you would definitely expect France to be taking them. But having said that, the chances, the couple of chances Poland have, you'd expect England to yeah. be. So it's actually, it's probably relatively even coming out of it. Yeah, it's going to be great. Like, and I'm sure we'll preview this game like extensively across the week. So we don't necessarily need to get stuck into it in no, too much detail no. now. But um, yeah, there's definitely like a lot in that. I think the thing about Bellingham, I love the left footed pass. And it's what makes me think about sort of keen in a way, right? Because you have people, players who, who are described as a good passer and that they're flamboyant passers who like execute these through, but they're almost admiring it as they do, you know? Yeah. But, but there was something like very instinctive and so effective about it. Like he got it out of his feet very quickly and got it away into the right place really crisply, you know? Like it was just something, yeah. um, you know, brilliant. Like, you know, he was under a bit of pressure and he still was able to execute it. And that's, that's sort of the impressive thing. But yeah, like Senegal a couple of times, like in that in that first half, as you mentioned, they just got down the sides a little bit of England as well, too. And you're sort of looking at France thinking, right, um, what are they gonna do? Well, like Mbappe and Dembele, sometimes they're hugging the touchline in some of these games. I'm not sure how it looks on the the the, the TV, like you know, and then you're thinking, mm-hmm. right, so big job for Kyle Walker, um in particular, you know, or or Shaw on the other side and then Giroud comes and occupies them in a, like, like the first goal for France, right? They were almost, um, Poland were so obsessed with Mbappe and trying to anticipate yeah. Mbappe's movements that he actually just plays a very, very simple uh, slide rule sort of pass for Giroud. And this is the thing, like how England deal with Mbappe is crucial. And also uh, Griezmann has been quite deceptively good in this competition yeah. as well too. Um, and he's sort of evolving even, some of his work off the ball and you'd imagine a big part of the France thing would be okay 
how do you use Griezmann? Like, who do you want him to occupy? Like, do you want him to be to cause issues for Rice? And then you have a situation where Mbappe, like, who comes across to help Walker with Mbappe? You know, there's a few little things. Yeah. And what England play on the right of their, uh, the the right of their midfielder, the right side of the attacker. Like, is it is it Saka yeah. again? Does, Saka. He have a, does he have a huge job then coming back? You know, so uh, even talking about it, uh, as much as we said that a lot, of, a lot of people naturally would have been rooting for Senegal. You have to be delighted that it still is France-England now, don't you? Because it's going to be a great Absolutely. game. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's going to be a belter of a game. But mm. I suppose we've got four, we've had four relatively one-sided games so far in the last 16. And after the break, Gabriel's going to join us to explain why Croatia and Japan is likely to be far closer. Hi, Gary. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, same question I supposed to open last time is, uh, how are you enjoying the World Cup? It's been a bit crazier since the last time we spoke to you. Um, yeah, it has. Um, I'm really enjoying it. We talked about the build-up initially um, being quite slow and, you know, it's suddenly on you, the World Cup. But now it's really taken off. And and more often than not, I get a bit more excited about the knockout, sta- knockout stages of the competition because you feel like, the, the, the you know, the top teams are really going at it, then it's the business end of it as such. But that last round of the group stages is, was just, it was just incredible. It was so exciting in terms of how the qualification looked like certain teams were going out. We've seen major shocks now with the likes of Belgium, Germany out as well. So the competition is really opening up and these emerging nations are, are really giving a good account of themselves. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it so far. Yeah, I think the, the day with with Japan and Croatia going going through, they obviously play in the in the last sixteen. Yeah. I mean, they were they were both looking fine, and then all of a sudden they were both within one goal of going out. I think Japan yeah. in particular, Japan in particular, have been it's strange to say a surprise package given that they've turned around and beaten Spain and Germany, but they've been, if you like, everyone's second favorite team in the tournament if they didn't have a favorite team already. Yeah, absolutely, and it's the way Aiden that they go about the game because. You know, that come from behind win against Germany was was a major shock in terms of the competition. We think about the history of Germany and how strong they are in competition football. And then and then you see the performance of Spain in that first half against Japan. The total control. It was a masterclass, really, in terms of international football. And then you're thinking there's no real way back for any team, despite the fact that Japan are so, like, gutsy as such. But they came out in that second half. They They literally adopted a more front foot style and Spain just couldn't cope with it. It was incredible how even when they got that goal to go into the lead, then you're looking at them sitting back and protecting that league. And I think for that period, they had something like 18% possession against a team like Spain. And yet I don't really remember Spain opening them up. It was such a masterclass in terms of that defensive structure. And it's all on the back of them, how hard they work together. Listen, we, we understand all that, but you still got to get your distances right. You're still up against elite level players. And yet Spain found it so difficult when asked to try and find that equaliser. I thought they were absolutely brilliant. Mm -hmm. How difficult is it as a player when in a first half you've kind of dominated? And I know obviously in a a dressing room, the the words will obviously be said of, you know, let's keep going like this. But in the back of your mind, there must be some temptation to say, look, lads, these aren't great and we'll be okay." And then suddenly at the start of the second half, this whirlwind comes at you. How difficult is it to cope with that? Or what do you do? Do you try and take a bit of time out of the game? Or like, is there is it something that you've experienced? I think you know, uh, you'll know that in, in games in particular, like you could have all the momentum going your way and then something changes. It's very difficult to kind of really arrest that and get it back on side, despite the fact that there's such quality players, those Spanish and 
they, they really had the wind behind their sails, Japan, and it was difficult for Spain. And you're talking about one of the best teams there. And, and, and it was so refreshing because if you think about how passive the likes of Poland were against Argentina, it, it was such mm-hmm. an uncomfortable watch. You think about Lewandowski up front, an, an iconic centre forward, a brilliant player. And he's just doing doggies. And they'll argue, listen, they've got through on the back of it, Poland. But that's not what mm-hmm. I want to see. You want, it's always a difficult challenge against these superpowers of world football. But you still like to think you can lay a glove on them. And my God, did Japan prove that. There were periods in that game where, although they were dropping deep on the edge of their box, Aiden, the energy, the verve with which they countered at pace and yeah. attacked in Spain, it looked, it looked likely that they could potentially get a third goal. A massive chance where the, the fullback burst from deep, runs the length of the field, puts a lovely ball into the forward. And he just doesn't get a good connection. And you're just watching the game thinking, this is just what World Cup should be about. I thought, it, I, 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 I loved watching it. At the same time, with 20 minutes to go, it looked like Spain were going out and I was a little bit worried about that. I want to see Spain progress in this tournament. I, I was a little bit worried that some of the big guns were, were going by the wayside and a path was clear for some of the other teams still left in it. Yeah, it's a little bit like FA Cup third rounds where everyone yeah. likes a shock until you end up at a semi-final of, you know, two championship teams and low-ranking Premier League teams. You don't necessarily, even on a grander scale with the World Cup, you certainly don't really want that. No, well, like, listen, ultimately, I'm looking at it thinking, I don't want England, I want England to be faces in some of these top teams <laughs> and make it a little bit more difficult for them. But, yeah, listen, in, in terms of Spain going through, I think that's something we wanted to see. In terms of Germany, and, and notably Belgium going out, Fully deserved. Mm-hmm. I thought they were shocking, especially yeah. Belgium. And you just felt that throughout the campaign, there, there just hasn't been a harmonious camp. And when you're living together and you literally are in those World Cups, you have to get on and you could just see something wasn't quite right and it played out on the pitch. Mm-hmm. And it was Croatia who eventually put them out. What did you yeah. make of them? They had a bit of a slow start in the tournament and they've kind of started getting themselves going. They look like a tournament, kind of a strange phrase though, it can be a tournament team where they just yeah. get themselves together. What have we made of them so far? Yeah, I think no real surprises. We've seen a lot of them over the years. You think about them getting to the, the final of the last World Cup and we, we know about the quality, certainly, that they have in that midfield with Modric, Brozovic and um, Kovacic as well. Obviously, Modric at 37. Doesn't look like he's aged though, does he? It's incredible in terms no. of the ability that he's still producing, not only for Croatia, but for Real Madrid as well. So, I always looked at Croatia. I like Croatia for some reason. I don't know what it is. I've, I've always... I've always um, been one of those teams that I'll, I'll be looking to support. But it has been difficult for them. And they are an ageing team. There's no doubt about that. And that is certainly a golden generation that we've seen over the last 10 years or whatever it is. But they're still in there. And you're right, Aiden. They're in there now. They'll be playing up against um, Japan. Japan, yeah. Yeah, the winners now. You're in the last eight then. Anything can happen. And and what you find about World Cups, more than anything, and, and, and more than about form going into the competition, more than about squad depth and quality, it's about momentum. That is what it is in tournament football, and it's whoever's got it. We've seen some of these emerging teams suddenly having have a, bit, a little bit of momentum and feeling good about themselves. But Croatia have seen, been there, seen it, done it. So, as good as Japan are, we know it'll be a tough game for them against Croatia. But Croatia, at the same time, will know even if they take a goal lead, you have to put this Japanese team to bed, and that is not easily done. Yeah, it would set up to be quite a clash of styles where, yeah. like, you wouldn't see. And these things, the old expression styles make fights. Like it could be, it could be a great game of one team trying to keep the ball and another team yeah. chasing after yeah. them for the whole game. It's, yeah. It might just depend on who gets the first goal. How do you, how do you see it going? Do you think Croatia might have enough? Yeah, I think in terms of quality, I, I think Modric's dictating play, and there's moments where 
when he just needs to up the tempo, he has that ability to do this. The, the concern for me, certainly, if I was prepping for this game against Japan, is the energy that they have within that team is that you'll be playing on the ball in good possession and they're happy and, and they're, they're quite content. They don't get, get embarrassed by not having the ball. They'll sit deep, the Japanese, mm-hmm. and just suck you on. And then it's that counter at pace. Now, we, we, we've seen that is um, something we see in modern football teams, how good they are in a counter. But they have that ability to put that real shift in defensively, keep, put that defensive block up, but then be at a burst from deep and get up the field and be an offensive threat. So I think that's how the game's going to play, play out. But you're right. I think it's against, in the boxing analogy, it's someone who's going to keep jabbing, jabbing, looking for that big opening. They'll have a good defence, rope-a-dope style, maybe, mm-hmm. to whether or not they got that final finish at the end. But it's certainly an intriguing matchup. And I suppose the jump across from boxing to sort of a different form of footwork with Samba football with Brazil. Oh, yeah. Uh, they've had a, like, they've been solid and occasionally yeah. spectacular. What what have you made them so far, you know, with Neymar, without Neymar? What have you made them so far? It's a couple of different games. Yeah, no, I've liked them. I really haven't. And you're right. I think we think about Brazil and, and, and the flair with which they play. They're far more pragmatic now. And you think about it, it's 20 years since they last one. So mm-hmm. their supporters are listening. They're, they're thinking the time's coming. But I think... The way they play now, you think about that that really um, top Brazilian team. You think about Cafu, Roberto Carlos, giving you that 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 whip from deep fullback positions. They don't play like that now. They've got such an abundance of talent in those wide areas that they've slightly changed it. The fullbacks now sit in and put up a bit of a more defensive showing. The defense is a good unit. I really like Thiago Silva. He's been a brilliant centre half his whole career, still managing to do that. And with Casemiro in midfield as well, they've got real quality they have. And they literally are just saying now, OK, we've got this kind of back five in place. We'll back up play and we'll let you offensive players go and do it. It's not a case of them, everyone just attacking. And and, and when they used to do this, you think about the, the drubbing they got against Germany in yeah. World Cups previously. That off-the-cuff type of football, it's just going to be put to the sword in modern-day football. And I think they look like a really organised team. I, I think they're going to go very close. And you're right to ask about Neymar because there were moments certainly in that Serbia game where they were lacking a little bit of energy. Suddenly, he makes a burst. He drops a shoulder. He beats a player. And then suddenly, it it's all opens up in front of him. And I think that they they do have strength in depth. They do have players who can come in as we prove where Neymar's been out injured. But you just feel mm-hmm. that he's the one guy who can elevate them. And I look at the quality. The one thing I would say about them in those wide areas is that they need to be a bit more clinical than they have. You think of a Vinicius Jr. has gotten in a couple of occasions, Rafinha as well. into great goal-scoring positions, but they haven't been clinical enough. And I think as you go deeper into the competition, you have to take those chances. And, and with a player like Neymar, like he, he divides opinion yeah. very much so in terms of... Can you think of someone who you would have played with like who would have that kind of ability to do anything for good and for bad and, and what it's like playing with someone like that like say Thiago Silva's obviously played with, with him a long time yeah like does he just sort of say oh, that's the way he is or would you would he be at him do you think or how, how would how would you deal with playing with a player like that well I, I to be perfectly honest if I think about a player who who can influence a game as much as that in a world cup stage it would have been someone like Damien Duff who going into the deeper part of that competition in Japan and Korea was just playing a level of football that was just sensational 
But the caveat that you have there with Damien Duff is that as good as he is going forward, he's just as good going backwards. He's just as equally put a shift in for the team. So you don't really have to adjust it. You literally just feel to yourself as a player, as a teammate, get the ball to him as early as you can. With someone like Neymar, it's a difficult situation, isn't it, Aiden, in terms of the modern-day footballer? They they, They have very high opinions of themselves. I would expect that someone like Thiago Silva is able to communicate with Neymar. You know, they played together for so long with Brazil and with Paris that you'd hope that he'd had that influence. But at the same time, you would hope far more than the histrionics that we see with Paris and to a certain extent with Brazil, that Neymar's determination is now to win a World Cup with Brazil because as good a player as he is, you're judged on that as a Brazilian superstar. Did you win the World Cup? And if he don't win the World Cup, he's never going to be in that debate. And that is the frustration. And I'm sure someone like him who's aware of his legacy, we hear that word so often now, he'll be desperate to win a World Cup. Yeah, yeah, and join join so many of the greats. Yeah, Gary, that's been great. Thanks very much for joining us, and we'll hope to speak to you again at the end of competition. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Aiden. Take care, mate. So, Dan, Gary's expecting a close game in Croatia, Japan. You know, styles make fights. You've seen you've seen Croatia. How do you think they'll shape up against Japan? Yeah, like it's it's a tough one to assess. I mean, I suppose I know you were saying to Gary about like you know they're a tournament team and and maybe you're seeing them grow into the competition. But the flip side is, like, what was the second half against Belgium their worst half? Like you could definitely argue mm-hmm. that. And I know we've talked on it before that like they were they were maybe just um, uh, they you know they saw the finishing line there, so they just decided to to dig in and, and get to it. Um, and like. As I said, like that Morocco opening game wasn't that bad a game at all, you, you know, in terms of has, maybe it, how out, it, sort yeah. of, has it panned out. Um, but you, you definitely feel with, with Croatia that, like, look at the problems that Belgium caused for them. Now, that was actually by, by getting the ball wide and getting crosses in and having a bit of a presence. Like, they spread the game a bit. And, like, Croatia have got, like, so strong in those central departments with, like, Modric, Kovacic, uh, Brozovic sort of sweeping up a little bit. Uh, Modric sort of roams around a bit. He's quite, it's quite interesting to watch. Like it's sort of like like a messy s thing in the sense that he, yeah. he has a little bit of freedom to pop up anywhere. That he can be split in the center halves one minute to take the ball, and the next he can be pressing like at the front line. And like he has, he has like a a bit of freedom there. Um, but you you did sort of look at them and think right. Um, but you know Japan will 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 find stuff to work on. But Japan, as we saw against Spain, and you, know, you touched on it a little bit with um with Gary that like they were just all energy and in your face but yeah. but obviously Croatia have good footballers who can drop back and probably play through a press they have the intelligence to play through a press you would think they have the the skill set like to to do that you know so i think this is i mean i'm going to it so maybe i'm i'm building it up but it, like we'll talk about brazil and south korea in a bit you know i, I still feel brazil will get the job done there um hopefully we'll have closer games on the from the tuesday yeah. ones we potentially will um, but I think this one can completely go either way. I, I don't know if I have a really strong opinion about how it can go. Like, I definitely think that that as much as the start of the competition, I spoke about Croatia refreshing their squad a little bit, and they've got like Guardiola at the back, who's who's like twenty twenty one and clearly going to be a big player. They've actually stuck with a lot of the older guard, and um, you know they've played a lot of minutes in some cases, and yeah. you kind of wonder will Japan have a little bit of a freshness and and. Could they could they just 
outlast them <laughs> across the piece. Yeah, you know? it's funny. This, uh, that's the, that kind of phrase that's coming into my head. The more I'm looking at it, the more I'm thinking kind of Japan in extra time, maybe that mm. I think Japan have used their substitutes very, very well in that they're almost bringing them on for for energy purposes rather than tactical purposes. And maybe I'm wrong in saying that, but they seem to have used them very, very well. The they refresh. The they refresh. Yeah they, yeah, they refresh, they refresh, they refresh, they refresh. And I think, you know, Croatia have some fantastic players. I love a lot of the players. They're brilliant technical players. But if you just have someone buzzing in around you for 90 minutes or an extra time, two hours, or God knows however long of extra time, it could be two and a half hours by the time you add up the whole thing up, I just think Croatia's legs might give out on them, that if you have a couple of players in there on Modric, brilliant as he is and has been, I think that's the area they target. So I'd be kind of thinking maybe Japan in extra time. How about yourself and prediction-wise? Prediction-wise, um, yeah, I feel like Croatia need to win it in 90 if they're going to do it. Um, and look, I think we're going to have a different... We're going to have the same prediction on the other game, I reckon. I mean, maybe I'll take Croatia to do it in 90 minutes, right? But I, 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 if it goes to 90, I'm, I'm flipping to your side. But for, for the books... <laughs> Uh, maybe just like with Japan it's a slight thing again where they have to hang over again like you know to get yourself to raise yourself up again I kind of wonder maybe I'm trying to just really convince myself an argument for I think it's pretty close but for the sake of it I'll say Croatia maybe just to to be able to to manage that energy with some of the quality they have in the midfield to just be able to get around it Um, but yeah yeah, it can go either way yeah and I think as you said we're both on the same page, probably with Brazil and South Korea, brilliant and all as that breakaway was for South Korea against Portugal. In reality, I think it's a game they probably should have lost. And mm. you know, the, the other, the other two teams in the group will feel. I think they could find themselves looking at this game against Brazil, wondering, like particularly Uruguay, really, really get having more regret again. As to, I think Uruguay would have given Brazil a really strong game. I think, I think Brazil will have be too strong. I'll be looking at probably. 3-0 Brazil, I think they'll be too strong. Mm. I only, uh, actually only last night when I got back, I only, I only got to see that South Korea goal last night. Like This is the thing, because the, the games aren't that visible around the place here, you know, you're not seeing like replays or stuff of every goal. I only got to see the South Korea goal. I mean, it's an incredible assist by Son. I don't know if we talked about nice. it before, we probably didn't. Like, just the ability to be able to do that at pace. And I saw like a behind the goal fan video and sometimes they can be brilliant, you know, and um, yeah, Ah, like it was, it was magnificent, um, and the scenes afterwards and stuff. But like the just the pace he was traveling at to see that runner out of his line of sight and to get the pace. I mean, it's really like people who people like use hyperbole and say, "Oh, that's world class," you know. But like that is yeah. world class. Like that is the yeah. That's just like a top drawer. But um, yeah, and I, the I run, sorry, the, the run down from Hechan as well. The run from Hechan as well. We haven't, we didn't. You're right. We didn't speak about it where. Like he's going full out, yes, 70, yeah. 80, 90 yards, and a slight slowdown just to keep himself onside and get on the end of it. It was absolutely, it, it was, it is strange. It was one of the goals of the tournament, and something that seems relatively simple, but we got to try it. Like it's a hell of a lot harder than it looked. It was brilliant. Yeah, like I, I mean, it's like it's just to appreciate the level of some of these guys, you know. And it's 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 a very straightforward thing, but like just the doing stuff at pace. Even Nunez had one. You know, Nunez is like very divisive. Um, figure um, and and sort of a bit like erratic and I was at the the Uruguay game. It was actually uh, I don't know where the bloke was. He was I was at the back row of the commentary and he was commentating live on TV. But what they had was a rotating commentators like BBC Five Live used to do it that someone would commentate okay, for fifteen yeah. minutes and they'd swap. 
But this guy, like he was speaking in, he was definitely speaking in Arabic. And uh, like he was really full on intense. But then he'd take his break and he'd just start leaning over and talking to us in English. And he was like, Nunez, he is a madman. This fella is a madman. He is, uh, he will get sent off in this game. He is a madman. Uh, and, and Nunez had this one in the first half. I don't know if people remember it. He did a little clip over the keeper and it was cleared yeah. off the line. It was, a, it was a real pace again, and it was a really good effort. And this guy was next to God. This guy is, I'm a Liverpool fan. This guy is terrible. You know, Salah, he needs to learn from Salah. And I was thinking, listen, you can have a go at Nunez, no problem. But he's after executing a chip at pace that was going in other, other than a brilliant clearance. This is like confirmation bias at work here. You know, not mm-hmm. everything he does is crazy or terrible just because he can be crazy and terrible at times. But um. Mm-hmm. I divulge a bit. I think Brazil will win. Um, digress, even not divulge. Digress, um, yeah, yeah. It's been a long day. It's, yeah, whatever. Yeah, you know, words. You know, just like, we can edit all this stuff out, right? Um, uh, but so. now, <laughs> now I think Brazil will win. But I, I'm not sure if Brazil are a three-nil winning type of team is the only thing. You know, um, I, I understand why you would reach that view. Will Neymar be back? I and mean, we touch on it again with Gary. Does seem like he might be and might give them something, but I take Brazil to win, but um maybe just one or two, maybe two nil. Cool. Hopefully hopefully a little bit closer than the last couple of games. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the game today, Dan. We'll be back tomorrow with the in the World Cup. Watch us on independent.ie and YouTube or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks.